Hello and welcome to another episode of the SMH Lab podcast. Today we talk music and mental health with musician Keaton Simons. Keaton Simons is one of the most talented musicians in the world. He is a prolific songwriter, an amazing soulful vocalist, and also a great player out in the road with guys like Chris Cornell before we lost Chris tragically just a few years back and Keaton will talk about that and the mental health side of things with with Chris as well as as himself also he just was out on tour with Brett Young the country star and hopefully he can get back on the road with Brett as soon as the touring world resumes because right now that is obviously at a standstill Um, Keaton also has a good relationship with Gavin DeGraw he talks all things Chris Cornell Brett Young Gavin DeGraw Snoop Dogg Gnarls Barkley, The Far Side, these are all acts that he has been affiliated with. He's written songs with Jason Mraz. I could go on and on and on about Keaton Simons. We're going to open up the episode with an important song for the world today that Keaton wrote called Define Us. We'll also end the show with yet another song from Keaton that he chose that it's a good fit for the world today. One, two, three, go. So enjoy this episode with Keaton Simons. Can you define love? Can you define hate? Can you define all emotions in between? Can you define war? Can you define peace? Can you define gravity? Your time and space. I can be alright. You can be okay. What does it all mean if we don't get to stay? I can be right here. You can disappear We can spend our whole lives chasing after fear So hear me out Get in between the two 
Okay. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. How you doing? Sorry it took me a minute to get logged in. Oh, you're fine. You're you're actually the uh the most organized, responsible musician I've ever dealt with. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, get back to my emails, you download applications. It's amazing. <laughs> well, I thank you, sir. That's been uh that's been a great <laughs> asset to me throughout my career, I'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah, well let's get right into sure. that, shall Absolutely. we? Absolutely, let's go for it. So, I mean I've I've checked out your music for a long time. Actually, you'll never remember this, but uh, when I lived in Nashville like seven years ago, I went to a whiskey jam and you were playing. Yeah, man. And it was like Tony Luca and uh, Tristan Prettyman. I don't know if you remember that night, but uh, <laughs> it was crazy. And then we ended up. Uh, I, I was like, I went over to you. I was like, Hey, we need to call uh, the girl right now. And you're like, Yeah, get him down. Yes. But uh, but anyway, we got into this long conversation. But uh, it was a great night of of music, and that's when I. I'd already, I'd always heard good things about you from Gavin, and you told me you're an even better human being than a musician. That's saying a lot. Man, I love, I love him so much. He really is just, just one of the most incredible, special people I've ever met. Like we've just always been homies. He's been so supportive of me forever. It's just like he's just such a good dude. Yeah. Well, and but your your resume, I mean, it speaks for itself. But I mean, you've oh, been you. in the game over twenty years, and you played with, I mean, you played with Chris Cornell. You played right now. You're out with you. You were out with Brett Young. And I'm sure you'll get back to that when, when the world resumes. Definitely, uh, man. Once uh, I, uh, we cannot wait to get back out there. That's been that's been such a fun yeah. gig, and it's gotten me uh, much closer to to Gavin over these last uh, like year and a sure. half, two years, because he and Brett are such a great such a great team together that the song that they wrote for Brett's album chapters is just absolutely oh. gorgeous. It's brilliant. Yeah. I loved playing it every night. Um, yeah. Can't wait to do it again. Oh, I tell you what, I kept waiting for that to come out as a single, but it never happened. Well, everything got kind of rearranged. I think, sure. you know, sure, sure. But I tell you what you, uh, when Gavin's not out on the road, uh, doing the duet with Brett, which he wasn't available very much. You'd be the guy that could, that could fill in oh. perfectly with that, with that same soulful voice uh, that Gavin has. You have the same, very similar, similar style. Wouldn't you say? Oh, definitely. I think we, yeah. we, uh, we came up being influenced by so many of the same mu- uh, musicians, so many of the same artists and so much of the same music, right. Sam Cooke and Ray Charles mm-hmm. and all the blues stuff. I mean, it's just like, <clears throat> it's, uh, when it's in there from the beginning, it's just, you can tell. Yes. Yes. Those are the days. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And then the other guys, I mean, it, it, it's crazy to see, like you played with Snoop Dogg, yeah. like the far side. I think you did like a whole record with, with the far side. Guys. Yeah. With, uh, with Slim Kid Trey from the far side. Uh, yeah. he and I, mean, I like, connected when crazy. I was young. Yeah, man. He, that, <laughs> one of my favorite, most amazing, uh, influential people in my life for sure. I first met Trey when I was 17. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And I like I wow. became his musical director, like part like what we were talking about earlier. I became a musical director for a number of bands when I was very young around LA because I kind of like had my stuff together. You know what I mean? I was I, I yeah. showed up on time and all this kind of stuff. It's it's quite rare to find in uh, in <laughs> in this world I've seen, but uh, it totally. certainly goes a long way. It has with me. Right. So yeah, I mean. In my opinion, you're one of the best musicians in the world. Oh, I mean, man. in terms Thank of you so much. well, the fact, 
I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about every genre from, from rap to soul. I mean, you can do pop. You've done plenty of, of incredible pop records and soul records. Thanks, and then, and now, you're, now you're doing the country thing. Dude, I'm doing but, the, uh... the country thing, which has also a very, become a very inclusive genre. You know, it's not, it really isn't a, a definable by a single sound genre, uh, certainly not anymore. You know, it's become less right. and less like that. I've actually been doing a bunch of, of composing for film, too. Uh, me and Brett's musical director, Noah Needleman, yep. we, uh, we just scored a film called Love, Weddings, and Other Disasters. Dennis Dugan directed it and wrote it. And it stars Diane Keaton and Jeremy Irons. It's got an amazing cast. L. King, the great L. King is in it, yeah. singing a bunch of stuff that, that Noah and I wrote. And I'm, really? I'm in the film. I'm... I'm performing some stuff we have some duets and things like that perfect I, it's uh, I, that was just an absolute dream and uh we've been we've been trying to really build on that lately especially right now now that we're kind of stuck inside this next segment keaton simons talks about growing up with the music bug bug in his childhood and he also talks being out in the road with chris cornell and and what happened with Chris. So this is the next segment. Music and finding that. Yeah, man. Well, you know, the thing is, since it really feels like something that I was just absolutely born with, I wanted to make sure to always feed that part of it. You know, the part that doesn't have anything to do with commerce or commercialization or anything like that. Even when I've been making, even when I've made pop music or even music specifically for commercials, I still retain my core connection and passion for music. It still feels the same way that it did when I was a little tiny guy. And, uh, and I, I, I just, I, that's what I always encourage for everybody. You know, I mean, I started probably my first recordings were uh, I did this Disney Christmas uh, Père de Noël French thing where I was singing in French. Uh, and then like, and then I, I sang on the soundtrack, uh, the score for Scrooged, which was Danny Elfman's first feature score. Oh, wow. um, and I was probably like eight years old at that time. And then I started, you know, playing music, playing band, you know, having a band and stuff like that. And I met Trey and we would play with Trey and having Slim Kid Trey from the far side show up to gigs in the nineties was very cool. No. <laughs> we would play a house of blues. Oh my dude. I, goodness. I was the first artist to, to uh, do like official performances in the uh, foundation rooms of house of house of blues. And so it was the one wow. on Sunset, and I had a I had a residency there. And Trey yeah. used to come. I remember we tried to record really? it on like a dat tape. It was this was so long ago. I was a kid. I was I, think I was nineteen at that Incredible. time. I wasn't even old enough to get. None of us in the van were were yeah. of age. Trey was, but none of the none of the people in the van were of age. We had to have a special <laughs> deal, and we couldn't be in there past a certain time, and all this stuff. <laughs> It was so fun. Wow. It was so fun, man. But then that, that led to that. Well, then I went to college and I studied ethnomusicology, uh, world music studies. So I've got studied everything from 
Southeast Asian music is where it started, Indonesian gamelan music, and uh, and then all over Asia and Africa and all over the world, and and definitely spent lots of time focusing on the indigenous musics of America and the Americas, and studied jazz and bluegrass and um, all sorts of classical uh, eras and composition and all that stuff. I couldn't get enough, man. I couldn't get enough. And right, right yeah. as soon as I was done, like within a year after, I was, uh, I kept playing with with Trey that whole time. And like I remember, we had a gig while I was still in school uh, at House of Blues opening for the Black Eyed Peas. Like that was like like on the main stage. <laughs> it was so insane. And then uh, and then I played the Snoop. And all yeah. Kyle, oh, you know, it's just crazy stuff. <laughs> and then uh, I was playing with a lot of different uh, hip hop and funk bands around LA. And I started writing songs of my own. I, I had a lot of experience from working with those bands. And a lot of them didn't know, even know me as a singer. They just knew me as a, you know, whatever I was playing with them. So mostly guitar. But so every now and then I would play bass or if I was, it was a record, I'd play keys or, or percussion of some sort or whatever it might be. But a lot of them didn't even know that I sang. So when I, when I, first, like when I got signed to Maverick, uh, which was a Warner label, it was Madonna's label, um, they were like picturing some Joe Satriani, like instrumental guitar. <laughs> they had no idea what, what to expect. <laughs> and and then when I started singing some stuff and nice. it was like, oh, then we would all play together. And it was great how that how that kind of evolved. I spent so much time focusing on my own thing, got called by a dear friend, the amazing Holly Palmer. She was leading the vocal ensemble for a new band called Gnarls Barkley. And they had they were blowing mm. up in England. I had never even heard of them at the time I got the call. Uh Almost missed the gig because I was. It took me an hour to call back, something like that. Like it was a sought after thing. But I ended up uh, singing with that band for a little while, which was amazing. It was during such a cool time. And right. and then Cornell was just like this miraculous honor, this incredible thing where we connected uh, based on him hearing some of my music. And I was like, man, you're, you are a legend. Like I just, I would do anything with you. I'll shake a tambourine, man. I don't care. I'm, I'm down. And, uh, <laughs> and, and then right. I got, I got an email from his manager and, and they asked me to do all the, all the press stuff for that new record and the single. And that included the Sirius XM thing where we recorded, nothing compares to you and just he was just an absolutely Amazing. tremendous soul just what a what an incredible human being I, I i miss him deeply you know i really i always try to come at everything from a point of view of acceptance i feel like that's the most peaceful and painless point of view that's that's the one that i've found you know um, but it's hard sometimes, sure, sure. you know, especially in a case like this, ah, we, I, I felt like there was, there was more to come, you know, which is, it's rare for me to get to, yeah. to feel that way because I usually just accept everything, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. 
Did you? Do you have any idea? You ain't see any signs? Not, anything bothering not to that extent, you know. And I can't speak as an expert right. on it uh, at all. But I don't, you know. I, of course, I feel like it probably it may not have been intentional, an intentional suicide. I'm not saying that he wasn't depressed and ha- absolutely battled and and uh, dealt with so much. I mean, he sang, sang about it and created music as a part of it and spoke about it beautifully and, and addressed it. You know what I mean? He had, he had a lot of techniques and technologies in his life to, to aid with that. It wasn't like it was something that, um, I don't know. That's why it was very surprising, but it's, uh, well, the, right. you know, it, that's why it also, go ahead. of course, goes to show you can't know what's going on in somebody else's mind. We try our best to understand each other. But one of the most frustrating things that people feel uh, is when they feel misunderstood. And it's it's, you know, I think one of the best ways to deal with that frustration is to realize that there is only a certain extent to which a person is able to be understood and only a certain extent to which you're able to understand someone else. It's mostly through connecting with yourself. I think, you know, that's the, that's one of the things that unites Mm -hmm. us all Mm -hmm. is we all have a self to contend with. We have to figure out what is this life and how do we deal with it? You know? Mm -hmm. Can you speak to it all? Like, like, so someone like Chris Chester soon after that and, other guys like you know Fright, mm. frightened rabbits lead singer um just like what uh they they sing about these things and write about these things i feel like they Absolutely. save millions of lives you know their fans listening and then but but then they themselves like why does this happen it seems like so much to the the quote-unquote you, you know, know rock stars, I, superstars. I, I wonder because of course on the surface you say they have so much to live for and so on and so forth you know what i mean um <laughs> Right. All you know, there's always more to the story and dealing with a lot of those types of things, you know, especially celebrity. One of the first things to go or to come into question is what is someone else's motivation for wanting to have a relationship with me of any kind, professional or otherwise? You know, is this purely for their advantage? Do they have somebody else that they want to ultimately benefit from this? Are they just trying to make money? What do they want? What's going on? Mm. You know, do they really even know? Are they looking at me and seeing a real person, you know? Uh, And that is Mm. dehumanizing in such a core way that, and it's none of it's intentional, you know, nobody who's a fan and loves this artist is trying to dehumanize them. You know what I mean? But, but, but it's, it's an, it's a, you know, Mm -hmm. an unintentional consequence of that. And it's just something that you need to deal with if that's one of the decisions that you choose to to tackle in life of one that involves celebrity. You know, because it can mm-hmm. get very oppressive. It can be extremely right. oppressive uh, to the point where I can absolutely understand how somebody could feel like, what is real anyway? What do I really have? You know, like what what is this all amounted to? You know, a, yeah. a lot of times also. Like expectation is a big thing that comes into play here, you know, because when you, when people create, Mm -hmm. uh, 
an unrealistic expectation. It's the same thing that happens when people uh, get disappointed because their birthday wasn't as fun as they thought it would be. Or New Year's is never as awesome. As everyone's <laughs> like, New Year's is going to be awesome. And they build it up to this thing that it can't, they can never live up to. And success, fame, celebrity, mm. uh, fortune, things like that have so many elements that reveal themselves as being empty and not what you thought they were once you get there. And so you've climbed to the top of Mount nothing, you know, and you go, oh, no, I made my whole life about yeah. this and it's nothing, you know? And, and so I can understand yeah. it from that point of view. I understand suicidality and I understand depression really severely. And that's why I've developed such thorough techniques for managing it throughout my life. You know, it's because it's been important for my survival. I, one of the things that I wanted to say is regardless of your position in life and your level of success by anyone's definition, there is a, there is a phenomenon by which a person can be incapable of, of seeing something or of understanding something. And I don't know exactly how it all works out. You know, I feel like it, it happens in the brain. I feel like it's a chemical thing. I feel like I've been there where I've felt such despair um, that I felt like I didn't want to live anymore because life felt so painful that I wanted to relief from that pain, you know, uh, and I couldn't see another side to it. And then when I wasn't feeling that that desperation and pain, I can't imagine how I could ever feel that way and not see all the beauty that's right in front of me. And how at the very basic level, the, the, as far as I know, this is what I've got, you know? And so to, to give it up seems like an unnecessary thing to do. Might as well, might as well uh, ride it out and see what happens. You know what I mean? At very least, at the very least, it'll be interesting. Right. You know, right. I've found that, that that point of view has led me to be much more hands-off about a lot of the details in my life and watching my life story unfold as an active participant, but not as the dictator, you know? I, I think it's very tempting for people to want to control mm -hmm. things, and it's totally understandable. You know, it's a clear line where it comes from, but, but it doesn't really work, and it especially doesn't work uh, if you try it with something that you cannot control, you know, and, and, and trying to micromanage every little step of what's going to happen in the future. I don't know. It seems like it doesn't work. And I, and it feels like, especially these days we're being, uh, we're being surprised with so many things that are happening so unexpectedly that are kind of changing what normality seems to be and how it's defined. And I think for the people who are, thinkers and creators of ideas and of art and of whatever it may be uh, philosophy it, this is a great this is an amazing time this is a fertile time you know for those who take advantage of it i feel for the people who struggle to do that for the people who are left uh in in a in a, a desperate situation as a result you know it, it, by things that are outside of their control or at very least seem to be outside of their control, you know? Mm -hmm. What, what are some ways you've, you've been able to manage your depression? What did you find? Were well, really I, the, for me, I try to, found? to value myself and every individual and every life 
entirely. We start off full of value. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's not, and it's not waverable. We don't have, there's not, you can't lessen your value that way. You know what I mean? You can have certain value uh, within social life and with, with, you know, in the shared reality world that we do, where if I, you know, help to mow your lawn, then that's, I'm doing you a lovely service. You know what I mean? I have a, I have a value to you that way, but people mistake that type of value with the type of per- internal value that every person possesses naturally that can't actually be messed with unless you let it be messed with you know and having that recognition and really addressing that belief with myself has been probably the core main way that I've been able to address and manage my own depression because I realized that I'm I was telling myself a lot of false stories, you know what I mean? I was telling, I was comparing myself to other people, comparing myself to hypothetical realities, feeling like a failure because I wasn't living up to an expectation or something like that, you know, and I just addressed all of those ideas and realized that many of them are fallacies, you know? Disappointment doesn't really have room to exist without expectation. If you're able to effectively have just realistic expectations or not, or disconnect, let go of expectations, that doesn't leave room for disappointment. You know, it doesn't, you, you, you are, you mm-hmm. are every bit of you 100% all the time, you know, and, and uh, I really encourage everyone to, to find a place where they love themselves separate from the outside world, separate from anything outside of themselves. You know, it's like put on your your own uh, mm-hmm. oxygen mask before helping others on the airplane. You know, it's a it's a perfect analogy, because if mm-hmm. you try to help somebody else and you pass out and then you help nobody, then what then what do you, what, what, <laughs> you know, <laughs> then what value do you have? Right? No, but but the, the thing is, it's uh, I think it's right. so important to address that, not in a selfish way to the exclusion of anyone else, but just make sure that you are well taken care of uh, before you go out there trying to take care of other people, because you might not be fit to do it. You may be doing more harm than good. Right. Um, right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's one of the ways that I've done. And I think, I think positive self-talk as kind of cheesy as it can feel sometimes, you know, it can feel like, uh, like what was the, that character, the Phil Hartman character on, on Saturday Night Live, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough and doggone it. People like, <laughs> that's it. Right. you know, it doesn't have to be looking in the mirror <laughs> and telling yourself how, how attractive you are or, or how much money you're going to make or something like that. But a lot of people think of as an affirmation. It's just recognizing that you're in charge of your thoughts. You and your mind are the same. They're not at odds, you know? And, and so, uh, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of people have negative thought patterns that get developed and strengthened over time through practice. And, and then they don't realize that they're doing it. You know, they get triggered by something. It's, it's something like road rage is a great example of that. It's, it's this desire to control somebody else's behavior. You want this other person to do something else that they're not doing. It's resisting reality. It's resisting what's, you know, it's, it's resistance over acceptance. 
if you're able to say, this is the reality of the situation, the best thing I can do is adapt. The best thing I can do is observe and adapt and not judge, you know, because all that does is get in the way. Mm-hmm. And it, it creates this system where this person's wrong for doing it. Who's to say I'm right? You know how often I find out that I'm wrong about something that I thought I was right about? If, you, if, if you're too connected to that, then you're, you end up arguing over nothing. You end up arguing something you know you're wrong about. And that happens constantly. It probably happens. It's probably one of the main reasons that people hold on to their position because they feel ashamed or embarrassed to let go of it like they've like they've been defeated somehow it's if you reframe that whole situation it becomes a whole different thing that's a gift are you kidding you know how you know how often i've felt kind of right for lack of a better term and had to had to leave a situation agreeing to disagree and feeling very unresolved as opposed to seeing the truth in something and then feeling completely resolved and transforming and growing and learning as a person Mm. that's that's that is almost a better situation than being right you know And, and i i often say you can like I'm always right. Eventually, like if I don't, if I'm able to let go of of the need to be right all the time, True. I can be right ultimately about everything as long as I'm willing to be wrong. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's that's interesting. With I know your your yes. relationship with your with your stepfather Eric Roberts. Um, that's that's a good example oh, we of, are of absolutely resolution, doing right? Well. You guys are still it's doing been, well. It's been one of the key uh, experiences for me that's that I've been able to hold on to and use to continue to motivate me, uh, you know, toward positivity and forgiveness and openness and and things like that. It's just uh, it's been really, really amazing. It was cool to do it in a in, in a way where I got to share it with people. Also, I think we're all very cool with that because i've had a lot of those types of experiences that weren't on television (laughs) um uh you know perhaps not quite (laughs) because there was some you know it was pretty crazy i held a big grudge and uh it was very juvenile and very understandable of course for me at that age but ultimately the perspective shift that 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 caused my big awakening moment there was realizing that I was continuing to look at it through the lens of a, of a a frustrated teenager and that I had a ton of technologies and had matured well beyond that. And so I had access to all kinds of, of perspectives where I could understand all of it. I suddenly, I could understand his point of view. I wouldn't have even allowed myself, I didn't even allow myself to see him as a, a, a being that could have a point of view, you know, uh, for so long. And, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's all, that's all it takes, a little open-mindedness, self-awareness, and a willingness to, to confront that fear of what it feels like to be wrong or to be exposed for being wrong, you know? Right. Right. And for those of you out there that don't know, that was a I think it was celebrity 20, rehab back. 10? What year was that? So ten years ago now? Oh my gosh. Wow. Twenty ten. Right. Amazing. We talked and you guys have not it was talked probably for about fifteen years. How many years? It was a long and now we're super we're years. super good. And, now you're, and I mean wow. yeah, it's it, it's improved. I think it's in this next segment, Keaton Simons talks about the state of the world that we're in right now and some of his philosophy for what we should be thinking about and how we should be going about things. 
it's gonna shine brighter and good things get better and all that kind of stuff. You know, those are those. <laughs> I want to put those out there as positive mantras. I'm not trying to to ignore or discredit or minimize the suffering in the world. I just know that everyone has a function, and by playing to their strength, I think that we can work collectively really, really well. And one of the things that I feel very good about doing is expressing love and positivity and trying to share that message. And so I hope nobody ever thinks that I'm saying that to the exclusion of, of anyone who's suffering. I just want to add that to the dialogue. I want, I want that to be part of it also to remember that every single person, the one that you're screaming and yelling at, um, it, it was a baby in their in their, in their mother's arms. That's 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 a person mm. just like you. It does not matter where they come from, what they look like, or anything else. What they believe, certainly, you know, our beliefs are our beliefs are, are choices that we make based on the amount of information and uh, that we have and the way that it's been presented to us and the you know, in the context around which it's been presented and and been you know adapted and all that kind of stuff. It's it really people have more in common based on certain differences than they think they do. Like, like uh, I, I've noticed this recently very distinctly that fans of a sports team of a particular sport and sports team may feel like they're rivals with a fan of another sports team, but in truth, they have much more in common than they do <laughs> because they're they're both fans of totally. that particular sport. They're both diehard, devoted fans of their team and their city and so on and so forth. These are these should be the best of friends. You know, these are not opponents in the slightest. So it's, yep. sometimes you just have to widen your perspective and you just see more to the story. It, it's it's okay to be mad and then calm down and then feel less mad. It's okay to to not understand and then learn more and then and then really not understand <laughs> and then and then finally get to a place of understanding. Right. You know, I, right. I hesitate sometimes to to kind of preach my beliefs because I I know that statistically people feel more more driven into their belief system when they're presented with opposition. So it, it might actually do more harm than good, you know, not necessarily as a whole. And I wouldn't begrudge anyone their voice at all. But I just always take that into question. Who am I doing this for? Why am I doing this? And to what end? You know, and to me, it always comes down to what's the best way that I can just express love, understanding and non-judgmentality out to the world, big or small, you know, however I can do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and like you, you mentioned the song "Gonna Shine Brighter." That's there's no. In this last segment, I asked Keaton about Brett Young being out in the road with him. What kind of person Brett is, and then the, the relationship also Brett has with Gavin DeGraw and Keaton Simon's also having with with Gavin. Enjoy this last segment. It's just making these connections and doing. There's so much full circle stuff, like with Brett not just Gavin, but like everybody in the band with Noah and Billy Hahn and Matt Ferranti is, is a new friend, but what an amazing yeah. artist and just an incredible person. And, you know, I've known Brett for, I don't know what, 12, 13 years, something like that. Oh yeah, man. We've known each other a long time really? and I've always been a champion of his. I've, I've, I've always been like, I don't know what took so long, honestly. I'm like, what more do you guys want? <laughs> like, sure. like, come on. 
Yeah. Right, exactly. Is he too really? tall? What, are, too what in the world could you possibly... Yeah. He writes amazing <laughs> songs, has an awesome, killer, unique voice, and he's gorgeous and, and incredibly tall. <laughs> uh, yeah. And he's incredibly <laughs> yes. well-suited yeah. for this position. You know, he's got, he's got a great ability to, to think like... Like a CEO, which is what you have to do, man, when you're the head of something that's 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 big like this. And I've just got a tremendous amount of respect and and gratitude for that man. I mean, he's he's done something special, and he has had success, and he's made good on his everlasting desire to include the people who are close to him and to share to share it with people he believes in and that he loves. Right. And it's it's what's been one of my fantasies was to make it huge. I always wanted to do that for Gavin. Every time he posted some stuff online about me, go oh, check out this single from my buddy and all this stuff. I'm like, I'm sitting there going, yep. oh man, I, yep. I really hope one day I can do something that comes close to repaying this favor. I want like, if for no <laughs> other reason, I want to get there so I can pay it forward and back, you know. Um. But, but we all do it, you know, right. We all, we all do it. And this journey has taught me more about defining success than probably anything else. And it's the idea that there are many different definitions of, of success. And that really, ultimately it comes to something personal and internal. And the more you try to seek an idea of mm-hmm. it externally, the more you kind of end up chasing your tail w- with a lot of things. Right. Well, and I love uh, the response Brett Young always gives. Always, of course. It's very true. It's it's always Gavin DeGraw. It always always shocks me. Absolutely. You know, they're like, really? (laughs) He's like, yeah. Like, yeah, that story is is awesome. And uh, one time, I actually, uh, Summerfest a couple years ago, I was there, I spent a couple days there with Gavin, and he played maybe the night before, and then Brett played the next night, and uh, like Brett's Brett's set list was like <laughs> it was like the old yeah. days of Gavin DeGraw set list, like Sam Cooke and you know Smokey Robinson. We're yes. just like, oh my goodness, this guy really did oh, yeah. idolize Gavin. Like, yeah. So that's it's oh, pretty, I'm pretty glad flattering he, I'm, to Gavin in in that regard. Dude, Very I'm cool. so glad that he uh, that he feels. I mean, I mean, I, there's no doubt that yeah. he feels that way. Of course. I mean, I, it's it's funny. I don't have enough good things right. to say about Gavin. I love him so much, and you know, I gotta say, I want to say <laughs> this on record. I uh, I saw. The, the first like full real performance that I saw Gavin give besides just seeing him sit in or jamming with him or in a small venue or in a room or whatever um, was at the Greek and it made me a better performer. Mm. That's how good it was. It made me, it inspired me. It was mm-hmm. the way he owned that stage. He hit everything perfectly. He effortlessly, like executed things that would make anyone feel self-conscious and he owned it and showed that you just do it and you just are that thing. And man, he had everybody he had, you could hear a pin drop when you, when, when that moment was, was, uh, was hidden at the Greek and it was packed and man, it was extraordinary. So that I just want to go on record, yeah. and if there's a way that I can compliment him any better, I'll try to think of it and do it next time. <laughs> that ends the interview portion with 
Mr. Keaton Simons. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, we had a few technical difficulties with that, but I think the editing process uh, made it made it all make sense. Just wiped out some of my questions uh, that were live. But um, I do want to finish this up by some of the things we talked about, which would be to check out his stuff online on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you find your music. He has a ton of music online that you can find. Um, just had an EP, one, two, three, go. A couple years ago, he's been putting out covers lately. He's going to have a new cover in the air tonight. It's going to come out very soon. Maybe it's going to be even out by the time you listen to this podcast. But uh, we're going to finish the podcast by playing another one of his songs, One, Two, Three, Go, from a couple years ago. It seems like that would be a great message for the world today. So thanks again to Keaton for joining us. Be safe. Make sure you check us out on Iron Will Network. Make sure you give us a great review if you're into that sort of thing. See you later. When I walk these streets, I feel a certain passion. When you're there with me, we start a chain reaction and fall again. Fall again. I'm swept away, I'm stranded Got my heart tethered, disbelief abandoned The hard way I learned that hard way You built a castle on sticks Take time to stop and feel alive What do we know? I know I feel it